Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mountain Province Diamond fourth quarter 2020 earnings conference call. At this time, all lines are listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press R0 for the operator. This call is being recorded on Thursday, March 25th, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Stuart Brown. Please go ahead. Good day. Thank you very much. Um, good day to everyone on the call, and thank you for taking the time to dial in and listen to us. Just before I go ahead, anyone I'd like to think through the presentation today, just remind everyone on the forward-looking statement, cautionary um, documentation that always is contained at the front of our presentation. As well, in look, looking backwards today, over the past year, we will also be discussing issues that we're dealing with right now in 2021 and projecting forward from that. So, a reminder for everyone to please make themselves familiar with the wording on the, um, the screen in front of them or to have a look at it when that they can at later date. So, today I'm also joined by Perry Ng, our CFO, and Reid Mackey, our Head of Sales and Marketing, who will cover their respective areas after I've completed my introduction. At the summarization of the 2020 year in review, um, no doubt the 2020 has certainly been a very challenging year for the company and for the diamond industry in general. It was a particularly difficult time for mining companies. After a relatively bright start to the year, we were quickly plunged into the global crisis in March 2020, which is almost a year ago to now, when the ability to mine started to become increasingly difficult as we struggled to move people around the, the world, and in, indeed in Canada and up and in and out of sight. And even worse, the ability to move diamonds around the world as markets shut completely and it became impossible to sell diamonds through regular channels. I think we responded extremely well to the challenges we faced throughout the year. We were able to keep the mine running, having just completed our winter road uh, resupply in 2020, and were helped enormously by support from our major shareholder in the form of um, Dermot Desmond, in the form of an off-take sales agreement of up to potentially $100 million. In the end, we utilized just short of $50 million of this option for liquidity purposes, and also grateful that um, Junebridge via Dermot stepped in again to maintain our liquidity buffer with a short-term loan of $25 million when our main lenders withdrew. Perry will deal with all the detail of the production result, but overall under the circumstances we did well, despite the challenges to get close to our carrot target for 2020, which is understandably we were missing our mining target. We just simply didn't have the personnel to run all the trucks at the time. The logistical changes and COVID protocols that we had to introduce and implement at the time to keep the mine running have been enormous. We have been stretched due to COVID for over a year now. The impact of COVID-19 on the mine has also affected our planned mining versus our actual mining throughout 2020 and also into 2021. We've had to continuously adapt, be more flexible and on, based on what source of all we've been able to get or go dip into our stockpile usage and trying to manage grade and get a, an even pattern of carrots coming out hasn't always been possible. We also had some particularly bad weather issues towards the end of the year, which caused us further complications. So after maneuvering our way through the whole of 2020, avoiding any major issues with COVID-19, it was a bit disappointing to have an outbreak of COVID on the mine early in February. This then forced us to shut the mine down for approximately three weeks. The restart has been quite difficult. Uh, the lessons learned around shutting mines in the middle of winter at minus 45 um, have been quite harsh in some areas. So we're dealing with this. Um, the excessive cold has certainly slowed us down. And indeed, the ongoing mine protocols, but we are now up and running and we're heading back to full productivity over the coming period. 
I did mention in our announcement that we are very pleased that the vaccination campaign that we've just completed and will continue with has allowed us to almost vaccinate the bulk of our workforce over the last few days. And this will help us accelerate the minimization of risk and again, assist us with um, you know, getting the personnel back up to full strength and full productivity. The 2021 Winter Run campaign has been very successful. The weather all cooperated, and we were able to continue with this even though we were shut down for this period. It became a priority, uh, and we'd like to thank all of our employees and contractors who remained on the mine as part of the essential services, and indeed as well as those that were off mine and in quarantine or working from home. They all pitched in to ensure that we could keep this logistical service going while we restocked um, for the rest of the year. Uh, I'd also like to take the time to address where we are in their Kennedy assets and assure everyone that we haven't forgotten about them. We are working on those solutions at the moment. We've appointed consultants to assist us with an internal review of the possibilities with respect to different combinations of mining options and to assist with developing a set, a set of mining plans to consider. This work is progressing and we'll receive more information in the second quarter. Our desire is still very strongly focused on getting some or all of these assets included in the mining plan. We're just not quite sure of the order and the, and the methodology at the moment, but that work is ongoing. Turning to the diamond market, while the rough diamond markets reopened late in the third quarter and indeed strengthened in the fourth quarter, we saw significantly more confidence return. This was assisted by reduced trade volumes from other suppliers um, and this has continued through to 2021, and Reid will touch on all of this um, in, in his address. But we have seen prices and the benefit of price increases, and generally now on average, we're more than fully recovered over the pre-COVID levels, but Reid will give you more information on this. I won't spend too much time at the moment on those Tuesday sample results, as I will come to these after Reid and Perry have finished their sections. Um, I'd like to, at this stage, now hand over to Perry, who will take us through the production results and then the financial results, and then I'll join you at the end for a summary of what's going on. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as Stuart mentioned, I'll provide some brief highlights uh, for the fourth quarter and as well for the full year. Um, all, the, all of the production stats I'll reference uh, are, are on a 100% basis, unless uh, otherwise noted and all the financial figures will be in Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. Uh, I would note, I, I recognize uh, our um, year-end filings, our financial statements and MD&A might uh, not yet be posted on CDAR. Apologies for any delays, but uh, those should be posted shortly uh, if they haven't already. So um, I will start on slide four um, with a, just a brief review of our high-level production statistics. In the fourth quarter, uh, we mined uh, approximately 9.8 million tons, uh, which is roughly the same as the prior quarter, and a significant, significant increase from 6.8 million tons in the second quarter of the year. Uh, for comparison, we mined 11.1 million quarters, uh, 11.1 million tons in the fourth quarter of uh, 2019. So, on a year-over-year -year basis, we're down about 12% uh, in terms of uh, total, total mine movement. Uh, overall, though, you know, as Stuart has said, you know, the mine has made significant improvements uh, in, in productivity rates uh, through the course of the year, uh, despite the COVID environment. And you know, we are averaging about a 50% improvement uh, in, over the past two quarters compared to the second quarter of 2020, which was obviously our worst period. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the 35. 0.9 million tons mine was uh, well below plan of uh, 42.7 million tons, so uh, about a 7 million ton deficit or about 16%, uh, and that also compares to uh, 43.2 million tons mine in 2019. Obviously, uh, you know, uh, you can attribute almost all of that to uh, the effect of uh, COVID-19 and, uh, and crew shortages. As a constellation, uh, ore tons mine actually performed well. Uh, we came in at 840,000 tons for the quarter and 3.3 million tons for the year, which was generally in line with budget and actually slightly ahead of uh, 2019 performance. 
In terms of uh, plant performance, uh, consistent with the prior quarter, uh, plant throughput has been less affected uh, than in the mine tonnage performance. Uh, we ran the quarter at uh, roughly 8,000 tons per day for total tons treated of 736,000 tons compared to 821,000 tons uh, in the prior quarter and 937,000 tons in the same quarter in 2019. Uh, as far as uh, the fourth quarter, uh, we were impacted uh, negatively uh, by uh, mine sequencing, uh, by weather effects, and as well uh, a bit of downtime uh, to prepare for and run a, a segregated uh, bulk sample for the Tuzo Kimberlite. In terms of grade, uh, grade was reported at 2.07 carats per ton, which re resulted in recovery of 1.52 million carats recovered uh, compared to 1.79 million carats in the prior quarter and 1.98 million carats in the same quarter in 2019. Obviously, as, as Stuart mentioned, the, the recent work uh, stoppage uh, in February of this year due to the COVID situation uh, has certainly impacted the mine plan, and uh, you know we'll we'll discuss a little bit more on that uh, shortly. Uh, for, but for now, I'll turn uh, over to the next slide uh, on to financial results. All right. Um, so in terms of financial results, uh, fourth quarter was the first quarter uh, in nearly. A, a full year where uh, we were able to rely solely on sales through our normal sales channels in Antwerp, Belgium. Um, having resumed uh, tender sales in September 2020, uh, we conducted two further sales in the fourth quarter uh, with 957,000 carats sold at an average price of US $65 a carat for total revenue of US $62 million or approximately $80 million Canadian. This was ahead of the 613,000 carats sold in the fourth quarter of 2019 at US $59 a carat. As a result, we generated $37 million in adjusted EBITDA for the quarter and showed an EBITDA margin of 46%. Obviously, this is a very encouraging end to uh, an otherwise difficult year. In terms of uh, financial statements, uh, highlights, uh, our reported loss uh, for the period uh, was $189 million or 90 cents a share. Certainly, you know, what drove that was our $217 million uh, non-cash impairment charge on the carrying value of the GK mine uh, as at uh, December 31st, 2020. Obviously, you know, the accounting standards require that uh, whenever there's a significant impairment trigger, uh, we're required under under those standards to assess our long-term assets for impairment. And in our case, you know, the primary drivers of the impairment were the lower diamond price assumptions on the Tuzo Kimberlite uh, based on preliminary views uh, coming out of the bulk sampling work. Um, obviously, everything is with a view uh, of market conditions at the time, uh, you know, at the end of the year um, 2020. Other impact, other factors impacting the impairment were a strong Canadian dollar and an increase uh, in discount rate assumptions uh, due to market-related factors. Obviously, you know this is something that company will assess uh, further on down the road, and if uh, there's an opportunity uh, for us to uh, assess, you know, uh, reassess the the uh, MPV of the GK mine, uh, then obviously there's an opportunity to potentially reverse that. Uh, some of that impairment uh, down the road. Also recorded uh, during the quarter was uh, 18.6 million uh, in foreign exchange gains uh, relating largely to uh, unrealized gains on the conversion of our debt, which is all denominated in U.S. dollars. Uh, during, during the fourth quarter, the Canadian dollar appreciated uh, from the 132 range relative to the dollar uh, to the 127 level at the beginning at the end of the year. Obviously, as a Canadian-based operation, you know a stronger uh, Canadian dollar, you know, adversely affects our ability to pay operating costs from a uh, U.S. dollar-denominated uh, uh, revenue standpoint. Uh, Renote note that in recent weeks the dollar has traded uh, uh, as high as 124, and today I think we're sitting 
around 126. And again, as, as I mentioned, you know, the Canadian dollar strength uh, was one of the factors, uh, you know, driving our impairment. Uh, so I think now I think we can move on to the, uh, my final slide, uh, uh, slide six. Uh, so I'll talk a little bit about uh, earnings from mine operations. Uh, for the fourth quarter, we reported earnings from mine operations of $22.8 million compared to $3 million in the same period in 2019. And for the full year, we reported a loss of $1.5 million uh, compared to earnings from mine operations of uh, just under $25 million in, in 2019. Uh, the full year impact uh, was obviously attributable to uh, low selling prices uh, of our diamonds in the second and third quarter of the year uh, due to you know, the situation, as, as Stuart mentioned, um, you know, the diamond markets being closed and, and the need to uh, utilize our Doombridge uh, sales facility to provide liquidity to get us over, over those hurdles. On the cost side, cash costs uh, came in at $116 per ton for the fourth quarter compared to $103 per ton for the same period in 2019. Uh, this was largely due to lower throughput through the plants um, in the fourth quarter for the reasons I described earlier. Uh, for the full year, costs came in at also at $103 per ton treated, which is the exact same as the prior year. And then just touching on, on CapEx, sustaining CapEx was $3.8 million for the quarter and $13.2 million for the full year, uh, both uh, somewhat higher than the comparative periods, but actually lower than budgeted, ex budgeted expenditures given uh, uh, some uh, uh, CapEx was deferred uh, into 2021 uh, due to COVID. Uh, it should uh, also note, uh, you know, during 2020, the uh, GK mine uh, benefited uh, significantly from the Canadian uh, emergency wage subsidy. Uh, on a 100% basis, we received uh, $6 million from in the fourth quarter and uh, roughly $15 million uh, during 2020 as a whole. So certainly, you know, we recognize uh, the efforts of the Canadian government to assist the industries uh, that have been that have been impacted by COVID. Uh, also, I guess, uh, comment, uh, the program has been extended into 2021. Uh, currently, we don't expect to qualify for any further significant amounts given, you know, uh, diamond uh, markets prices have uh, returned to COVID levels, but we'll obviously update you if anything changes. And then uh, the last thing I'll comment about, uh, just looking at our balance sheet, uh, we did end the year, you know, with a, a reasonable amount of cash. We had $35 million in the bank, uh, which was the same balance we had at the end of 2019. As far as overall liquidity, uh, we've successfully com completed our first two sales of 2021 and currently have another sale underway in Antwerp as we speak. So, you know, obviously this is uh, critical for us uh, given this is the heavy spend portion of the year with the uh, current uh, 2021 winter road uh, uh, just wrapping up. Uh, the unplanned shutdown of the mine in February certainly complicates our liquidity to some degree as that production would have sped up planned sale uh, for May uh, in the second quarter. Um, you know, I think any resulting production will likely push into June instead. and. Uh, you know, this may or may not, you know, uh, result in a uh, temporary uh, shortfall in liquidity, but, uh, uh, you know, we will certainly proactively address that uh, if it should arise. And we've also been informed that uh, Doombridge has sold a portion of uh, the diamond inventory sold to them last year. So any profit sharing received on that will uh, help to mitigate uh, any liquidity shortfall that we might experience. So with that, uh, I'll turn the presentation over to Reed Mackey uh, on uh, the diamond market. Thank you, Perry, and uh, good morning. Um, as Stuart and Perry mentioned, we obviously faced some incredible challenges in 2020. Uh, from a product distribution perspective, the flexibility of our sorting, valuation, and sales processes enabled us to assess, adapt, and navigate through the challenges of the pandemic from market shutdowns to product facility closures, and severe disruption of international logistics. 
With great assistance from our business partners during the last 12 months, we were able to keep our diamonds moving through the stages of product preparation so that Mountain Province was in a strong position to re-enter a rough diamond market primed for recovery. Since the market's reopening in September, as Curry pointed out, the company's tender sales tapped into the market's renewed demand, achieving price increases at each sale to levels where Mountain Province's rough diamond price book has now surpassed pre-COVID pricing levels. Downstream, despite the obvious terrible cost of the crisis, the diamond market has reemerged in relatively good form. Polished demand remained healthy last year. This prompted manufacturers to reduce rough diamond stockpiles and inventories, reassess their financing options, and reduce their debt levels. Midstream companies are now considered better aligned with the mine production profiles and inventory and profit have been redistributed through the value chain. Jewelry retailers across the globe accelerated their shifts into online trading, developing enhanced digital offerings, and are now reaching customers in new and exciting ways. On the rough supply side, major producers adopted a price over volume strategy, thankfully, which helped to support these downstream markets. While this has undeniably increased the major stock levels, with the high volume Argyle mine now closed, the expected drawdown of stock over coming years is not expected to oversupply the rough market. And given Mountain Province's rough diamond profile, which contains considerable amounts of smalls and browns, the closure of Argyle is expected to support price increases in these product categories over the medium to long term. Lab-grown diamonds are now part of the industry landscape. Retail prices for LGDs continue through the fall, uh, continue to fall in, 19, in 2020, while wholesale prices remain stable, squeezing margins for traders and manufacturers. Industry efforts in product differentiation and synthetic detection will continue to ensure that customers know what they are buying and get what they pay for. We're still navigating our way through the pandemic and the COVID may yet still throw us a few curveballs. However, natural diamonds have historically performed well after times of crisis. In the US and China fourth quarter retail figures and the recent recovery we've seen in rough prices are both indicative of this. Long-term demand for diamond jewelry is expected to exceed supply, and we're confident that demand and prices for rough diamonds will remain firm into 2021 and beyond. And with that, I'll pass you back to Stuart. Thanks very much, uh, Reid, and thanks, Perry. I think uh, Reid and Perry have touched on all the critical points that need an explanation, but I've got no doubt that there will be some questions following. But before I get there, you know, our future is obviously heavily influenced by our sales and further price recovery or price growth now because we've recovered to the pre-COVID levels and now got exceeded that as Reed just confirmed. But that's not just our only solution. We're not sitting back and just praying that prices increase. Um, we're working on a range of options behind the scenes right now to add more flexibility, more optionality to future revenue, cost reduction, and alternative ore sources uh, are a very strong focus over the coming periods. In looking at the forward issues, obviously the impairment is certainly an issue that I need to address. And apart from the updates and reasons that Perry provided, we need to address the TUSO sample outcome, because that's been the big driver for the, the size of the impairment. Obviously the desire to get more certainty about future revenue and expenditure expectations was what drove the need for the bulk sample. Our original sample was just over 2,000 carats, and it's quite small compared to the, you know, the volume of over 20 million carats that we're going to be mining over Tuza over the coming years. So the plan was to take the two bulk samples, which we did over the two different parts of the ore. But I would say up front, we weren't expecting such a different outcome from our original plan 62 to the range that we've got. And we've had to deal with this as we receive the information. As stated in our announcement, we are working with a range of diamond values at present, and we're not yet complete with all the analysis, um, and nor with our determination of the value of diamonds. We will hope to conclude this later in the second quarter, um, and we want to be able to receive our share of this sample and put it through our sales mechanism. Reed has valued um, our diamonds, and we're comfortable with his value, and, and we note that you know, the market right now is, I wouldn't say unstable, but it's certainly going through a lot of change. And it's always difficult to pin one particular value at one point in time. 
to make Street's job incredibly difficult. We note that the size frequency distribution is finer and that's driving the change in the diamond value. Overall, we don't see a deterioration in quality at all. We also note that, as I said, the market price for these goods, although improving, is not yet completely stable. As we mentioned, Argyle influencing people are rearranging themselves as to where they're going to source. And, and as that section of the retail market recovers and recovers in the future, we think we will benefit from a higher price. And this will may influence the values we're using for modeling purposes of the life of mine plans. This is a key focus for us now. However, the relationship between accounting certainty at the time of assessing the issue and market, un market uncertainty has certainly been a major factor in the size of the impairment we have booked today, but we've had to use the best information we have at the time. And as Perry mentioned, if, if things change dramatically and improve in the, in the future and we get more confidence of that and we rerun these numbers, we are able to reverse um, some or all of the impairment. Finally, we're also quite confident that we'll be able to deliver an update on the key guidance metrics. Um, we almost compete with that review. We just want to see a further period as we recover and ramp up. But De Beers will be confirming that with us in the second quarter, very early on that. Um, with the restart issues that I mentioned in general, in general, we are attempting to manage our carrot and grade options such that we can get close to our original budget, having lost about 21 days of processing. Um, we're able to accelerate and, and put volume through the plant as we have flexibility and plant capacity. Uh, so at the moment, although our total tons mine will be effective, we think we'll be able to generate the original carrot uh, budget that we were internally looking at. But certainly COVID implications have made us very cautious on that. I wouldn't like to confirm an exact number, but it's between you know, a range of 6.4 to 6.8 million carrots. In summary, it's a very difficult year behind us with some challenges ahead, but we are positive on the market outlook with a lot more work to do. We believe in the longer term pricing model and as readers described, we're ready to benefit from the upside price growth. We have options on more or with Kennedy as we conclude this work and we will see how this progresses. So we've got a lot of um, options in front of us and having come through this difficult period. You know, it was 12 months of, of survival and getting um, help from all sorts of quarters and not being helped by some people in certain quarters. So certainly we had additional challenges, um, but now we've got to a stage where the, the mine is running. Uh, we, we've got our future firmly ahead of us and we know the size of the challenges we face and the, and the team's working hard on that. So I think that concludes what, what I want to touch on. I think I've touched on quite a few points here and obviously uh, people need to you know, absorb that and we'll, we'll now turn over some, for some questions. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have any questions, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear three tone prompt acknowledge in your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from Ed Hulstra with AHBC. Ed, please go ahead. Hello. Hello. Oh, hey, sorry. Uh, Zev Halstead, HSBC. Sorry, I uh, didn't recognize my name. Okay. Um, sorry, Perry, can you just go over your comments about liquidity, uh, particularly in the second quarter? Um, make sure I understood what you were saying. And if you could also share with us cash balance today, that'll be helpful. Uh, sure. I mean, I, um, I, we actually have a sale in progress right now, so you know, I, I can't give you a real-time cash balance. But uh, uh, as I mentioned, you know, we're looking at uh, our Q2 uh, sales schedule right now uh, and seeing what we can do based on the, the production that's coming out, out of the mine. Um, and obviously, you know, for us, we have, we also have the June 15th interest payment. So obviously, um, you know, between, uh, you know, still paying for the winter road and the June 15th interest payment, you know, there, there may be, you know, um, you know, some, uh, potential shortfall just based on, um, what we get, uh, in the sale that's underway and what we do, uh, with, with the May slash June sale. So, 
a lot of moving parts, um, and you know, uh, we'll keep you updated uh, on where things stand. Right. I mean, I would just say, you know, it's into March, so I think you know whatever you can share with us really is important. You know, we're standing up and saying that we ran out of cash in a couple of months, so. Um, I appreciate the, you know, the fluidity of the situation. Um, again, additional disclosure is probably the, you know, helpful. Um, just to go over that whole, uh, in terms of your, your sales base, so obviously you will have had three in the first quarter and you're focusing on the May slash June. I assume that there's nothing scheduled for April. So the next one is what you're referring to when you talk about the May slash June sale. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we have a sale in, pro in process right now, which will be collecting the cash in April. Uh, we have a May sale that, uh, you know, most likely will be deferred uh, in and combined with uh, uh, our previously scheduled June sale. Um, so it's really, you know, um, you know, not if if we indeed don't have a May sale, uh, then uh, you know we may have we may you know potentially have uh, some short-term liquidity issues. So Ed, if I could just jump in here. I mean, obviously, we're in a very stage, final stage with negotiating with someone on a confidential basis. So that's why Perry's being a bit cagey. We're actually very aware of it and managing sort of revenue income as well as um, expenditure outflow and then looking to, to bridge that gap if necessary. And, and we will keep the market abreast of this and we're very far advanced on, on what contingency plans we need to introduce. And I can't say any more than that. Okay, no, I appreciate that. Um, that makes it a little better. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. We have a following question from Daniel McCarvey with Rossword. Daniel, please go ahead. Daniel, your, your line is now open. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yes, we can. Okay. Sorry, Thank I had you on mute. All right. Uh, sorry, I, I um, just to repeat what I said to myself. Um, I have a few questions, and and Stuart, I wouldn't mind if we could talk offline just on, on a couple of things as well later. Just on that last point, um, you're looking at uh, a solution to possible liquidity problems. Do any of these issues? Any of these? Can you say whether equity might be involved in them? Uh, not at the moment. Okay. Okay. Sorry, you can't say it. So, well, I, you know, as I said, I've said enough as I can, but no, equity at the moment is not being considered. Okay. Thank you. Um, in the in the write down, just what was the the rate uh, changed from to the discount rate that you you used, and why was the discount rate changed? Uh, it's about a one percent increase uh, to our discount rate uh, from you know uh, mid sevens to mid eights, um, and it's just looking at market related factors. Um, you know, obviously our bonds obviously uh, traded quite a bit off from uh, the year before, and just looking at you know other you know factors that you would attribute to you know single assets, you know Canadian producers, um, but the Discount rate, yeah, wasn't a, a huge change, but uh, it did tick up by a better percentage point. Okay, for 2021, the plan is in flux in terms of the mining plan. But do you, is there any is there any very big catch up and stripping and other costs that has to be um, spent? Yeah, so that, I can take that question. Obviously, last year, as Perry's reported, we, we lost about 7 million tons of waste. We managed to continue mining all the ore, and we've got sufficient exposed ore this year to be confident that we can get between, I would say, 3 and 3.3 million tons of, of ore mined. Um, so we're not eating into the stockpile as such. We have a, a buffer stockpile that has various grades on it. So what we expect we will have, again, a deficit in, in waste tons um, mined, given the start to the year and the, and the breakdown of um, when we had the, the COVID shutdown, so not the breakdown. So that, that all piles up and then gets pushed to the end of the mine. So what we're doing is we're rerunning a lot of the long-term mine plan to, to see how this affects us in 24, 25 onwards. But over the next couple of years, it won't affect our ability to 
extract tons. We just might not be able to extract the exact tons we were thinking of extracting when we looked at our plan a year ago. So we do use the stockpile, which has a flexible, it has a number of different grade profiles in it that we've deliberately stored from different sources. And we'll see how the mining unfolds over the next few months to, to get that prediction, which is why there's quite a wide envelope between tons treated and carrots recovered. And we're not yet in a place to really push a single number out of that. So we always have a range. But it, it, it is in flux, but so far every day that we're treating, we're treating you know, the required amount of tonnage to meet our annual target. Okay. The, the price of 46 or 48, whatever the number was, and was, that, was that based on it, mo the most up-to-date pricing or was that based on pricing a few months ago? And uh, that was an, so the independent valuation is run in the ranges. They do a bottom and a top and a, and a mid-range, which we quoted. Um, and that was used at their price book um, as of the 15th of March. Okay. And for the for the diamonds you in the mine plan, remind me for the next year or so, are they pretty pretty average in, in terms of uh, uh, Tuzo? Uh, Tuzo in the next year or this year is about 300,000 carats. That's not a big portion of our production. Over the next five years, it's about five or 4.6 million carats. Uh, what we call Tuzo phase one. So when we don't describe our diamonds as average, but certainly we're mining to a good average grade and our you know, SFD fluctuates up and down, but in general, we're mining within the envelope of what we expect. So the influence of a Tuzo over the next five years is not that great. It's the last five years where you know, more of the, the mine comes from Tuzo. Right. Okay. Stuart, just, uh, you've gone through a tough year, as you, as, as you point out, you, um, and this quarter has been tough, too, and, and you're starting up. And uh, the good news is you're getting the vaccinations have started, and hopefully in a month's time that uh, COVID will be um, a non-threat. So you have that, you have that kind of, um, that wind's going to go away, that headwind. Uh, how do you feel just about, I know there's a lot of um, fluidity, a lot of things that, that might change over the course of this year, but how do you feel? Uh, about the rest of this year in terms of being able to 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 execute and and pull things together. Okay, I feel very confident that from a production perspective that we will 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 get the carrot because I think that drives all the value for the beers and for ourselves and it, it's sort of almost a a sacred cow that we can't affect that. So we will do everything we can to that. On the sales side, I've always been very confident that. Once we've got through, and, uh, and basically 2020 did accelerate a lot of the overhang that was out there in rough and polished. You know, as Reed mentioned, polished prices did not come down as much. Rough prices came down you know, quite a lot, and they've recovered. So how do I feel right now in, in terms of economies open, opening up, pent-up cash sitting around levels of savings in the U.S. and Europe are huge, and that money is going to come out. And I think we're competing quite well with that. Um, the retailers are port reporting good numbers. I know in China that retail is, and especially in luxury, is hitting record levels. So I feel confident that uh, is going to, you know, certainly assist with further price growth and demand. Retouch on lab grown, I'm, I think I'm publicly quoted on platforms. I don't see that as a threat at all. I see it as a different product. Um, so I'm not ignoring it, but I, I have a lot of confidence in our product. And then I think we do have to face some of the tough things and, and work together with our partners quite aggressively on looking at ensuring that we can get around the Tuzo issues and, you know, put a sustainable future. And, then, and as I said before, I can't touch on too many of the issues, but there are other plans afoot to try and drive more value uh, now that we've hopefully got to a period where we're not dealing with the crisis as much. Okay. Thanks. Last question in terms of people and equipment. Um, during COVID, maybe had a lack of uh, money to spend. Are you, from an equipment perspective and from a people perspective, there might have been some loss. Um, how are you? Um, uh, how are you equipped? We've got all the equipment we need. The capital was spent. We did commit. So that winter road problem that we have is it means you have to buy your kit. So the, the, we've got another truck coming into production. It's being assembled over the next month. Um, more the people issue is, you know, not knowing who can come to site with the protocols we have. So you're expecting 15 drivers and then you only get 12. Now you're three short. 
and, and they're not sort of all hanging around on the street corner in Yellowknock waiting for a job. Um, so we kind of have to over uh, populate certain roles. But even doing that, it's very difficult when people report feeling unwell, we don't let them on the plane, you know, safety comes first when it's from a health perspective. That will hopefully lessen. So equipment, we've got everything we need. We don't need to buy more equipment. We're not short of equipment. And all the equipment we have is either well-maintained or working. So I don't have no problem with it. It really is the people issue now, just to try and get up to full complement in all the production areas, especially in mining. So that's the, the sort of the real focus right now. Have you lost many key people? No. We, I mean, we've had the, the normal staff turnover where some people have left and gone to other places where we've lost people. We've managed to replace them. And we're not seeing a skills shortage as such, but it's the absenteeism. And it's also running over Christmas with COVID. That wasn't helpful. And you know, the Canadian mm -hmm. system of reporting for work is quite direct. You're either there or you're not there. Um, you know, we're running long shifts um, and, you know, four weeks on, four weeks off. Again, that's proving quite quite a challenge. So we're looking to change that when we can get further through this the, the vaccination program. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you very much for your comments, guys, and I uh, look forward to talking later. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Your next question comes from Paul Zemniski with PZDA. Paul, please go ahead. Thanks. Um, you guys, you briefly mentioned the Kennedy assets earlier in the call. I mean, could you provide any more color on how integral Kelvin and Faraday are to the new mine plan? Um, you know, I, I guess what I'm asking is at what point could the plant be operating at under capacity without those assets? Well, thanks. That's um, a good question because we know our plant can operate at, a, at greater than 3.3 .3 million tons quite comfortably. In fact, we demonstrated that in 2019. So there's an argument that our plant is always running under capacity and we have an ore shortage problem now with our existing uh, mine plan, which is the three ore bodies. So we see Kelvin and Faraday or, an, or a combination of how we get those ore bodies into the mine as, as integral. I think there's a lot of constraining factors. If we don't want to use more capital, we have to use the existing capital on mine, and that's obviously quite occupied right now. Um, so that's what is the complexity of working out what we can do. We see that coming in uh, 25 is when we could first get it in if the permitting process stays as long as it is. And that's always been a difficult issue in, in you know, North America to deal with. Um, we would like to bring it in earlier, but we have to have an economic option that works. So that's really what we're doing right now. We have uh, Kelvin as indicated and Faraday as inferred. So there's also a couple of issues trying to get Faraday upgraded to indicated status from a grade and value perspective. Um, so that's really what we're cramming in right now as a short-term period of work. But so 2025 onwards would be when we could bring this. We could bring ore in any time if it was there and put it through the plant. Plant's not a constraining factor now. It's it could eat more ore. Okay, understood. Thank you very much. Thank you. We have a following question from Ed with HSBC. Ed, please go ahead. Thanks. Thank you very much. Actually, it's uh, but we got that part worked out. Um, just. Uh, Back to the TUZO uh, charge, I apologize if this is obvious. I didn't quite understand the issue of the fines uh, and the impact that that would have exactly on the diamond price. So if you could just uh, spend a minute or two explaining that. Thank you. Okay, I'll, I'll do that because we can touch on that. So that's, and then Reed will jump in. So we have a standard frequency um, distribution. And let's just crudely put it, you've got two large ones and four small ones. That's your expectation, and you price your large ones, you price your small ones, and that gives you an average value. Now when you go and resample it, we've still got the same two large ones, but instead of having four small ones, we've got five or six small ones, so that you've got more of a lower value. So your average value comes down. So we weren't expecting more in the, um, as many more in the lower end, and there was a slight movement in the top end. So the average size frequency distribution was finer. We didn't have a deterioration in quality, but maybe Reed, you could comment on 
I mean, you're the guy looking at these goods on the bench in relation to our other production. How, how did you see the value sure. and impact? Yeah, I'd be happy to, uh, Ed. Uh, yeah, from a, from a product quality standpoint, and, that, and that's very important, as Stuart pointed out, is, uh, you know, we undertook a full team valuation um, of, of the samples. Um, and, and, you know, and it's subjected to, to much the same process as we have when we prepare goods for sale. Um, and so it's down to the, the highest level of detail in terms of valuation. From a quality standpoint, uh, Tuza looks good and consistent with, um, um, you know, historical averages from GK. In fact, there are some areas where it, it looks better. So we're seeing low Bort content um, in it compared to historical averages. And also, um, you know, in some cases, uh, the whites are looking whiter. So, um, you know, it's early days. Um, we do have a substantial sample taken, so it is representative, and we and we have to put a lot of weight on that. But uh, um, the timing of the sample is such that taking of the sample is that uh, you know the market price is feeding into it. Um, we'll see on a, a medium to long term basis how those uh, how those play out. But from a pure quality standpoint, um, that's not what's driving the the, um, the decrease in average price per carat, as Stuart pointed out. It's purely uh, size frequency distribution. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks. I'm going to just jump in here. I think we're getting to the end of the questions, but I do have two questions that uh, Kieran Hodgson sent through on the web question. His first relates to how does TUSA impact on the mine plan? So if I could just deal with those, looking at um, how does TUSO fit into the longer-term mining plan, please? Um, I can give you that answer, Karen. Over the next five years, TUSO represents about 17% of the total production of the mine, out of about 27 million carats that we expect to mine from 21 to 2025. Uh, it has less of an effect over the, the let's call it the short term. The TUSO longer term, obviously that becomes more dominant and Looking at my numbers in front of me here, it sits at about 42% overall of the rest of the life of mine, but at 16 million carats out of 22 million carats for the second five years. So it is more dominant in the, the second period, but we've got you know, a, a gradual ramp up to that over the next five years. You ask another question, Kieran, um, around fluorescence and how are we seeing that in the market? And perhaps again, if I could just ask Reed to comment on that, what he's dealing with fluorescence. He's the, the guy who sells our diamonds. Reed, if you could touch on, Kieran wants to know how we're we seeing the impact of fluorescence and what are we doing in the market to, to address it? So overall, um, uh, you know, the price for fluorescent goods has increased, uh, as has increased with large white gem. Um, there have been periods where uh, you know, the discount for fluorescents have kind of stretched because more due to, um, I think, just the, the speed at which rough prices in the large white gem and medium white gem where fluorescence has its impact. Um, the speed of those increases, sometimes it's taken a little bit. There's been a little bit of a lag for the, um, um, for the fluorescent component of those goods to come up, but we are seeing those come up now. And, and I expect to see... Uh, fluorescent discounts to continue to decrease going forward as we see demand and prices for uh, medium and large white rough gem um, to increase in, in the medium to, medium to long term here. Um, fluorescence uh, is, you know, our customers have been dealing with it since 2017 when we first came on the market. We have now uh, put together, uh, you know, a, a highly specialized uh, customer base that that uh, accepts this product um, knows how to how, knows how firstly how to manufacture it um, to mitigate any of the, the the negative qualities that can be associated with fluorescence to the point now where it's not considered an issue with uh, GK um, uh, white fluorescent goods and more importantly um, how to market it and I think there is still more work to be done there um, we they've gone through the challenges through manufacturing. And, and understanding the uh, fluorescent with our product. But, but now I think we've turned a corner in the rough market where, um, and, and downstream actually, uh, where, where fluorescent is, is being seen for what it is, which is you know, having no negative attributes to, uh, to you know, the polished outcome. And in fact, uh, 
um, can be seen as uh, one a hallmark of natural origin, um, uh, and and there's a few of uh, players of within our customer base who are now actively marketing um, the fluorescence instead of trying to hide it, um, and and marketing it as a, a, you know a positive attribute that uh, that denotes the the the, uh, the origin of the stones from you know the Canadian Arctic and. I think there's a lot of work to be done there that's going to be very interesting in the uh, medium term here. Thanks, Reid. Uh, so I'll just end off on the comment fluorescence. I think we see less of a problem with it as it becomes more accepted, as Reid just said. And we did have good success with that recent large stone we sold, um, which was, you know, let's put it highly fluorescent and uh, was desired by our customers. So I, I see that as less of an issue. I've got, uh, I'm going to take one more question, and I've got this from Scott McDonald um, from Scotia. He refers to the Tuzo bulk sample. Is there any expected to be an impact on the average reserve grade? There is some work going on with that, Scott. We, we're not yet sure yet. That's been outsourced to um, a company that they're looking at it. We, we expect there might be a positive change in the grade, but I'm not sure how that big that will be, and that's part of what's our future looking at it. At, along with all the other variables. So hopefully that does give us you know, some benefit in increased volume. So I think with that, we've had a, a range of questions and I think we've probably answered all that we can answer. Um, so thanks very much for everyone who's dialed in. We've been going for you know, just over 51 minutes now and we will update you on various issues that we committed to in the announcement. And as soon as we have more information, we'll be putting out our production for Q1 and our sales for Q1. Um, pretty soon, and we'll keep the market updated on any other developments in the near term. So thank you very much for everyone who dialed in today. We appreciate your time. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. Thank you for participating, and I ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.